elected assembly for West Leverage, or Leverage West. Um, before uh, turning the time back to each of you and Greg to so that you can provide questions and you can respond to them, I just would like to um, announce the topics for some of the sessions that are coming up. Next week, uh, next Thursday, <coughs> Um, we have Arden Shipley, who will be providing a presentation on what happened at the Sochi Winter Olympics and Inside Story. Um, as well, on the same day, Thursday, March 6th, we have the opportunity for to attend a presentation at SACPA on campus. The Native American Studies Department and the University of Lethbridge are sponsoring a, um, a session from 4 to 6 p.m. in room PD275 where the pros and the cons of abolishing the Indian Act will be discussed by Paul Chartrand. And finally, um, the following week, we have the distinct pleasure of uh, having the opportunity to hearing from Dr. Gershon Baskin from Israel. He will be coming to make presentation at the University of Lethbridge and also here on Thursday to the Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs. And he will be speaking to the rising challenges from the Middle East. So please consider your schedules and, if possible, make the time to come out and support those sessions. What we'd like to now do is invite um, Greg back to uh, receive your questions and enable him to give a response. I want to remind you uh, of our process. If you would please uh, introduce yourself, keep your comments brief, in fact, limit your comments to questions. Um, and because of the fact that there's more than a few of us who might want to pose a question, if you'd be kind enough to keep it to one or two questions at most. Use the provided microphone, and uh, we will encourage a lively banter, but this is not a debate. So, Greg, would you be kind enough to come forward? And those of you who would like to pose a question, if you'd be kind enough to present yourself, introduce yourself, and we'll go from there. Thank you. Just one, sorry, one other thing. We would like to finish up no later than 1.30, so uh, let's keep that in mind as well. Hello. Sorry, turn it on. Is it on? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Hi. <laughs> um, my question is, you didn't speak about pension reform. Oh, my name is Melanie. Um, I'm an HSAA member, one of your mental health workers in town. And I'm just wondering, you didn't speak about pension reform, which was on the list. I'm wondering what the proof is that there needs to be pension reform. I'd like to know what that is from your perspective, please. Thanks. Sure. I'll try to do that. And I just want to take a second first to, to thank two of my compatriots for being here. I see Gary Bickman from Carson Tabor Warner. Thanks for coming, Gary. And, and the ever-present uh, Bridget Pastor from Lethbridge's. Thanks for coming. Bridget's hobbling around, but she's still here, and it's nice to see here. As you know, uh, pen pension reform has been a major issue across the country. It's an issue in Alberta. Um, Not on. In discussions, uh, it's become very apparent that the uh, that the um, public service pensions, at least many of them, are are, uh, are carrying unfunded liabilities. Uh, and I've got to give the pensions credit. They've done a lot of work to deal with the unfunded liability. They've uh, they've increased uh, the amount that's being put into the pensions to the point now where I believe that it, it, the present unfunded liability, if uh, we maintain the payments to the people and all the rest of it, uh, could be... Um, paid off over the next 25 to 30 years. 
But what, what isn't uh, taken into consideration is the increasing uh, pension liability that will continue to accrue from today on. So uh, the changes that uh, initially were proposed uh, were, were significant uh, to the pension plan and actually was going to see 65 as a retirement age. Uh, when that happened, I had a lot of people come through my office and say, Greg, you know, we've been kind of planning and our lives around uh, trying to retire at a reasonable age. We've been working under the premise that uh, an 85 factor of years and age would allow us to do that. And this change to 65 with, with the clawbacks would make it virtually impossible for many of us to retire. And a lot of concerns came up and, and some ideas came up. So I went back and actually talked to Doug and so did a number of other MLAs. And we had some discussions at caucus uh, because this is across the province. It's not just here in, in Lethbridge. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, working back and forth through the process, uh, our Treasury Board President was able to come up with a process where going to a 6090 for uh, for our employees and maintaining the 5585 for our uh, uh, public safety workers, uh, we could still make it uh, sustainable, but it would allow most people to have a minimal impact. So the way it's structured with the changes that were announced this week, anyone retired now will see no change. Uh, anyone retiring by 2016 will see no change to any of their pensions, to any of what they were expecting. Anyone working beyond uh, 2016 will fall into the new, the, the years beyond 2016 will fall into the new category. So anything prior to 2016 will be under the old system. They can still retire. It's locked in. Anything accrued after 2016 will accrue under the new uh, system of, of, uh, of pension, which is the 60-90 factor. But once you get your factor, uh, if you choose not to take the pension, if you're done at 57 and you choose not to take it till you're 60, there'll be no clawback. You'll get full pension at 60, uh, same as any other pension. So it's the, the, the rules have been softened. There's st it's still an impact. Probably the big, bigger impact will be on the newer people just coming in. People that have 20 or 25 or 30 years of service, this will be, be a very small impact. Uh, but for new people... But the other side is putting a cap on how much they have to pay um, will mean that new people coming in will understand the maximum they're going to have to pay towards pension so that you won't have all the retired folks continuing to accrue uh, costs and the new people coming in seeing their, their costs ratchet up where they can't even afford to pay it. And one of the challenges we have is 20 years ago we probably had two workers for every retiree helping to pay for the cost of pensions. We've now moved to where it's about one-to-one, -one, one retiree for every one worker. And it's going to, if it stays there, because public service plans are not growing or growing quickly at all, they're staying pretty static, if it stays there, it's going to be very hard to manage with, with those numbers. So the, the plan is now sustainable, but the flip side is the legislation will also turn the plan over, take it out of government trusteeship, uh, and allow the, 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 the two parties to run it on into the future so that they will be able to set the rules that they want. They'll be able to adjust it. It'll all have to pay for itself based on employers and employees coming to agreements on what that will look like. So the, the government can cease to be a trustee in the plan, as it is now, and have ultimate responsibility, and the plan will be totally self-managed. And this is something that the unions asked for uh, in the past, and this will be done. Uh, by 2016, and it could be done before that, and then the pensions will be fully operated by the employees and the employers. So I think that's a good step as well, and that's something that's been asked for. So the 90-60 and that were two things brought forward by, by members in Lethbridge even to say, 
look, we've seen, prefer to see no change, but if you have to change it, please keep the 60% COLA, which we did, and please don't go beyond the 60 factor, because uh, for many of us in careers like uh, some of the like uh, parole officers and many other types of jobs, social workers, where it's quite strenuous and, and uh, taxing, uh, working beyond 60 could be incredibly difficult and hard on people. So so I, I'm, I'm glad we're able to listen and change that uh, and make it a little better. And that was a long answer, and I'll try not to. I'll shorten the other ones up. Henning. Hi, Greg. I'm Henning Bundle. Yes. Um, thank you very much, especially for your efforts, you and your colleagues' efforts in the whole EMS and ambulance thing. And also, thank you for uh, contacting, on behalf of Lethbridge and Area, the uh, past and current uh, Minister of Energy in connection to, to the no drilling. Uh, I wonder, have you... Um, Got it on record in Hansard, your opposition to the uh, drilling in the Lethbridge region? Actually, I can tell you, Henning, I don't, because uh, we haven't been uh, in the legislature discussing it, but we'll be going back in session this week, and in session I'll be presenting officially letters of opposition and any, uh, any other things brought forward, such as uh, petitions. I'll be presenting them in the House uh, to become a formal part of, of Hansard and a formal part of, uh, of the future uh, records of the House. Thank you. Absolutely. Good afternoon. My name is Joseph McHuck, and uh, I uh, thank you for your political presentation. And uh, what I really wanted to uh, I saw you yesterday at the session yesterday afternoon at our, and as well as Bridget. Uh, good session. A lot of issues. But that's not the point. My, my, my con two concerns. One of them is pensions. And I'm from Saskatchewan formerly, and went through all this in Saskatchewan, as you probably realize. But you know, I'm wondering what you know, what, why are we so? Why is, the, is this suggestion? There's an issue there because in Saskatchewan, what happened? One of the parties didn't contribute to the fund, the the the, uh, the benefits, the uh, guaranteed income, or the guaranteed pension benefits. So. Uh, that, is that, is that the issue here? But that's it really is not a to me it's not a big concern. But I I, I just want to know the, why is it in such a dire straits according to what I media. The second issue is or the third issue is the uh, the development in in uh, the west side. The, you know I, I never heard the word environment mentioned in your presentation, which is really scary because it's a big issue. You know we have things like rattlesnakes. We have all kinds of unique areas in the West uh, Lethbridge, and nobody seems to mention it. The city's a big issue because they're pushing for development. You know what that means. It means impinging on certain, you know, environmental critters like rattlesnakes. And I really want you to take that to heart, that this is a big issue, because there's actually no need to go that in that part of the... Uh, you know, the part of that uh, landscape that you, uh, particularly in your constituency. So I would like you to uh, address that particular issue, those, those issues, particularly the uh, natural habitat, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, on the pension piece you brought up first, um, actually the pensions aren't in bad shape. I think that's what we're saying. As of today, they're, they're, they're in pretty good shape, and the people are paying enough 
that we can probably over the next 25 to 30 years pay off the unfunded 7.2 billion that's set up now, but we won't cover the unfunded liability that continues to accrue from today forward. That's going to continue to build. With the changes that they're proposing, that should stem that and mean that the, the fund is sustainable, everybody will be able to rely on their pension, and that the numbers will be able to stay as they are. So, uh, And in Saskatchewan, what happened uh, a few years ago, uh, what they, the government of the day actually bought out the unfunded liability piece. They paid it off so they could get it to zero uh, because my understanding is they hadn't been paying enough in they paid it to zero and then set it aside so that yeah, so that so that it could be managed in the future. And that was it wasn't a very large unfunded liability at the time. And I guess if we could pay 7.2 billion today, we could do the same uh, between us and our and our uh, and our staff. But that's one of the issues that we face. The teachers face it on their pension, and they're trying to pay back their unfunded liability as well. You know, pensions across the country and around the world are facing some of the same challenges. When most of these pensions were developed, we didn't live as long, we didn't live as healthy, uh, we didn't retire as early, and so we end up now with people actually retiring sometimes for longer than they worked, and it continues to put that added strain on the pension plans uh, that went from when they were developed. So they slowly change to adjust to the times. This is one of those changes. Uh, from the environment perspective, I agree with you, and I think it, uh, it always comes up for discussion. The one thing you can count on from the AER will be that the environment will be discussed. Um, we even heard from the federal government that large tracts of eastern Alberta, uh, southeast Alberta may not be available for drilling because of uh, some habitat for, uh, uh, for grouse. Uh, and so on an ongoing basis, both the provincial and federal government do look, look after that. It's one of the major considerations. Uh, and personally, as a biologist, it's one of mine, always been one of my concerns, and one of the things I appreciate most in our region all across the south is some of the unique habitat that we have uh, across the south and that we should protect, especially our native grasslands. So, so I agree with you that it has to be on the table. Uh, and I think it's unspoken. Everybody in the room here uh, probably would name that as one of their two or three most important uh, issues when we do any kind of development. Mr. Weeding, my name is Twang Toth. I, uh, I, I was honored early in my life at the age of 23 to be a hospital board member in the Drumheller Valley, a 56-bed hospital. I'm also honored to be an honorary member of the Registered Nurses of Alberta. Heather Smith and I are communicating quite often as to what's happening in the most southern part of Alberta. But the most vital thing, of course, that I've been searching for, all Albertans have been searching for, finally, for a so-called open government is what the hell is our loyalties? We've asked your treasurer, we've asked every opposition leader, we we asked the past treasurer. Nobody knows. This is this is our bank account. This is my kid banking. Can you finally tell us if you can in your nicely monthly reports, very elaborate reports, can you possibly tell Albertans what a royalty is and what did Ralph Klein initially this is the most important one. Initially, what's the agreement? It was never publicized. What did he sell our oil to the United States for? Now, mostly, mostly, uh, I, I just want to, uh, the question to you is, 
I've been in conversation with Mr. Dilworth, our chief assessor. I think he's the president of the Assessors Association of Alberta. Very, very well educated man. And last year, your government has doubled the taxes on property taxes and took that that increase away from the businesses and the non-residential uh, companies, the new companies. But that's, that means uh, ranch companies are paying practically nothing, taking billions out of our areas. Okay? Could you could you tell us, explain that to us? What what is a real uh, taxation based? as property tax owners. We know your, 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 your premier's already said we have to borrow money, it's judicious now to borrow. Where has the money gone to? Okay, can you tell us what our, what our doubled up property taxes are for, why the province needed that? Well, thanks, Frank, and there's a lot of questions there. Uh, from a property tax perspective, the province does not collect any property tax at all. It's all collected by municipalities uh, in support of services to property. Uh, we do collect an education uh, tax as part of the property tax collection based on value of property, and it collects about a billion dollars a year, uh, which flows towards education, which is a cost of about $7 billion a year. So it pays about 15% of the cost of delivering education across the province. So the, the property tax that we do get is, is an education property tax. And in fact, last year, we took back slightly less than we did the year before. And we brought in legislation that is now capped at that will only take 30% of the property values uh, cost of education as, as property tax, the balance. So uh, we're actually collecting less and less every year as the property values go up. Uh, and I think that's reasonable. Uh, but we're also looking at and having discussions with municipalities during this MGA review about should there even be an education property tax? Should we just get out of that and free up that space for municipalities to use for other municipal services? That will be an ongoing discussion. Uh, I'm sure at the municipal level, as they all look for different revenue sources, uh, it's, it's something that's been brought up by municipalities to say, why don't you guys get out of the property tax business from the education perspective? That would free up a billion dollars, which is about what we put into MSI right now, and it could create an opportunity for municipalities to create room within their budgets. But the problem with that is, uh, right now, programs tend to take it fairly across the province. So in the old days, highly taxed areas like Calgary had a lot more money for education in communities that didn't have as much industrial and collected lower taxes. By collecting it all and then dispersing it on a per-student and per-need basis, it means that lower taxed areas tend to benefit. So Calgary will ultimately per capita pay more in, while Lethbridge and other places will per capita get more out. And it's a way to try to create a little bit of parity across the province to deliver services like, like education so that we all have a chance to have our kids educated the best we can, not just where the rich people live. Excuse me, just one, one, I possibly didn't paraphrase that right. The province sets the tax. I didn't mean to say they take it. The province sets the tax. The court missing the No, the taxes are set totally by the municipality. 
Uh, Trevor Page. Uh, thank you, Greg, for a very fluent articulation of two of the major problems that Lethbridge faces. Of course, it's the solution to the problems that we're interested in. I'm glad you referred to the Gold Gardens rally, where we heard you and Bridget both voice your opposition to drilling. That was five months ago. I understood from one of the earlier questions that you actually haven't raised this in the legislation yet, but you intend to do so, although you did indicate in your presentation that you had spoken to the minister. My question deals with the role of the AER, and why is it that your government has seemingly elevated the AER to a position where they are above the law, or at least above the lawmakers? The Premier says, I can't do anything about it, AER is in charge. The Minister says the same thing. Now, my, my question to you is, what is your position on the AER? Will you seek to bring back a more democratic system of governance? Thank you. Thanks, Trevor. Um, I maybe have a, 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 a slightly different view of the AER. Um, they operate within the mandate that we give them. We appoint them, we give them a mandate under legislation, and they operate. And ultimately, we have the right and the ability to change that legislation at any point in time. Uh, that's why we're doing the review of urban drilling, and I'm hoping that we have urban drilling policies and regulations in place very quickly that could give direction to the AER as to how to deal with with uh, drilling within urban areas or whatever those might be defined as. So I'm not going to tell you I have the perfect answer, but I'm telling you I think that ultimately the legislature has to be in charge. The legislature has to be able to create the rules uh, that represent your concerns and everyone else in this room. And I will go back to the legislature and continue to work to do that, whatever that looks like, uh, whether it's through regulation, through legislation, or through the policy uh, uh, secretariat at the AER are to ensure that the policies that they work by reflect the citizens of Alberta. And I'll do the best I can, Trevor. Thank you. Hi, Greg. Hi, how are you? Great, how are you? Good. Bailey Mental Atherstone. Thank you for coming. Um, I'd like to know how we can believe anything you say. Because in your in your letter of January 31, you promised us that our integrated EMS services, dispatch services, would stay the same as it was, and you had talked to the minister. And then, on February 12th, ta-da, no, our mayor has to stand up and say, we're going to fight this. We want to keep our dispatch system as it is. So now you've promised us another, you've made another promise, which um, I would just say the proof is in the pudding. You've got to make sure that happens. You promised us at Gold Gardens five months ago you were opposed to this. Yet the only thing you can come up with today is another promise that we'll have urban policy. We don't want urban policy. We want a moratorium on fracking in municipalities and around homes, whether they're urban or rural, anywhere in the province. You've also said that you are here, that your, your party, you and Bridget, are here to help families and help seniors. And yet, 
during my tenure as a school psychologist with various school districts in southern Alberta, I have seen the money taken away from exactly those families, those children with disabilities that you promise will be coming by the millions to Alberta and they will have a wonderful school system. They won't. Right now we hardly have any teacher's assistance because you, your party, have taken away the money as a way to beat up school boards for not um, for allowing teachers to have higher salaries. And the last thing you promised was seniors. Most of us here are either seniors and very close to needing uh, care in 20 years. But your party has taken away the long-term care beds from the seniors. So how can we believe a single thing you say when it's always promises that will be in the future when you've had time to actually do something or it's broken promises in the past? Thank you, Greg. Well, thanks, Bev, and I know you and I have had a lot of these discussions over the years, and we'll agree, uh, continue to agree to disagree on, on some of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, I believe that we've worked very hard to do exactly what, what we promised, and we'll continue to do that. And the proof is uh, that, uh, that we're going to Calgary on Friday with the mayor uh, to put the new model of, uh, of uh, dispatch into place. So uh, uh, six months ago, Lethbridge was out of the business, and we're back in it because of, of the hard work of the people in this room and outside of this room and the citizens and, the, and also mayor and council. I've got to give them a lot of credit for the, for the work they did, both, and especially the past council. They worked tirelessly. Uh, I'm going to give uh, Mayor Dodick and his council credit for two years uh, uh, it was probably the only one of the single biggest issues that they brought to my attention. I see Bridget here and nodding to my attention every time we had a chance to talk. They talked to the minister, I don't know how many times. Uh, they have continued to support and work with us, and Bridget and I wouldn't have been successful with this without the help of the last uh, couple of city councils and mayors that have been supportive of this. So this wasn't done alone, but I'll tell you, this is a community effort. We're going to keep that darn dispatch here and our integrated service because the dispatch is only as important as the integrated service. And I think that's where we really win is with the integrated service. Dispatch supports that. So I'm going to fight for integrated service. I'm going to fight to keep the dispatch here in the long term. Uh, and uh, the other things you and I can talk about offline. Thank you. Um, my name is Greg McCauley, and again, thank you for coming down, Greg, and I know your position, you've stated as well on the on the urban drilling. i got a little broader question in terms of, you know, I'm getting to be a senior and whatnot, and, and you started out talking about money and the money available to do things. I'm wondering just if you could bring me up to date on some of the things the provincial government and you're looking at to, to, to help guys like me and my age in the, as we move into the more senior years. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, that's a great question, and it, it's a big issue because uh, as I look around this room, I'm now one of what I never thought I'd be, which was a senior. I didn't think I'd live long enough, but uh, and my mom's alive, and she's a senior as well. Uh, and you know, uh, I think us baby boomers never thought we were going to get older, but all of a sudden, uh, uh, every day I run into baby boomers that, uh, uh, like Mike back there, that uh, I still think of as a kid playing a guitar, but he's ready to retire now. Uh, Mike Christ, Christu back there. I went to school with the Chris two kids and uh, all of a sudden we're all getting uh, a little bit more gray hair uh, Joey Shackelford I remember when he was in junior high school uh, we're all becoming seniors and it's, it's creating an incredible pressure across the system for housing uh, for for healthcare, I mean, healthcare is now approaching 50% of most provincial budgets, uh, and even then, 
Uh, people would argue that we're not delivering all of the services that are needed. Uh, every day in my office I get uh, people coming in saying, here's a service that isn't covered, ocular uh, transplants uh, or implants. Lots of things that people would like to see covered uh, that aren't now, and yet we still continue to see uh, the costs of, of health care. Uh, so we're going to have to work together as a community. That's probably the big one is continuing to invest in health care. Um, and, and housing uh, for seniors, I know uh, Bev brought the issue up around, uh, around um, long-term care beds. And we've, we've, we've committed to, to build some new ones, and we have built some new ones, but the real answer is uh, only about 10% of us ever end up in a care bed. 90% of us will grow old and die at home, not going into one of those beds. And damn it, we got to have good services for people in their homes so they can stay there. we got to have medical services and support services for people at home. And I think that's critically important, and we have to continue to develop it. Uh, each year we've continued to increase the investment in home home supports and home care, another 45 or $50 million last year. Uh, in talking to Fred this year, that's another one of the issues we brought up, is how do we continue to provide those supports for folks at home? Because that's where most of us are going to be. And I think that's where most of us want to be, is in our homes. So uh, we'll, Bridget and I will continue to fight, and I know Gary too. He's got lots of seniors in his country. We're going to continue to fight for proper services for seniors both in care but also in their own homes. And we'll do that, and we'll commit to doing that. One more promise you can put on the list back there, but we're going we're to continue to try to make sure that proper services are there for folks in their homes. Mike. Hello, I'm Mike Bennett. Uh, Greg, if uh, urban municipalities want to control their destiny, is there a possibility that they could be given the right to purchase the mineral rights or own the mineral rights under under their area, and then they could control their own and the government wouldn't need to get involved? You know, Mike, that's an interesting question. The first time that's been brought up to me that I remember uh, about the municipality possibly buying. I know most times it's just been that they'd be frozen under under certain areas. But that is something that that could be brought up and talked about is how could urban areas uh, have a little bit more long-term knowledge of, of how they're going to develop and what can happen in there. And I guess then if they did allow it to happen, any uh, income would accrue to them, which would at least support their community as well. So then the decision would be made by a community on what are the benefits. For example, Medicine Hat drills a lot of gas wells. They own the gas wells. They develop. They, they generate their own electrical energy. They got a 50 meg power plant. They also sell gas at a reduced rate to their citizens. So their citizens see a direct benefit. And I guess maybe people in Lethbridge, if they said, if you drill those holes and I can buy my gas for half what I'm paying today, they would at least see the benefit of what could accrue to the community or to them. Whereas right now, all we see is uh, potential for health risks, potential for development concerns, and really no noticeable benefit to the citizens that live here. So that would be something to look at, Mike, and, and, and frankly, it's brand new, and I'll, uh, uh, I'll have my staff draw it down, and we'll have a discussion about that. That's great. One more question. Yeah. Uh, hello, Greg. Uh, Tony Hall. I have Tony Hall. I work at the University of Lethbridge. And uh, uh, it was very disappointing last week when we had the forum at the University of Lethbridge to see the Progressive Conservative Party unrepresented. And uh, so we've been hearing a lot from opposition politicians. And when we hear these things and you're not there to answer, it, it takes on a certain uh, credibility. David Swan, uh, who lost his job as a chief medical health officer when he uh, 
whistle blew on this government. He was fired. Uh, he, he, he made, a, when he did his presentation, a different presentation than last week, he made a great deal of the fact that there is a groundwater study, that we need some baseline studies. And he said it, it got going in 2006, and it, it, he suggested he had a lot to do with it. And he said, as far as I, as I can see, it's just got lost. Maybe the results aren't good, uh, but, you know, so there, there's been like a decade where these studies go on, but nothing comes out. Then we heard from opposition politicians that this urban fracking pol that this urban fracking policy that you're working on it doesn't really exist it's 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 not there's really nothing being done on it and the fact that you're not there to answer and putting yourself in a place to answer that causes me to believe that there might be some truth in that that it's actually just a shimmer an, uh, an illusion that, that something is going on but the groundwater study it's all about water in this area I know from my involvement in the old man dam controversy water is a crucially important issue. We don't have too much of it. We're now dealing with the fact that already fracking and drilling is polluting our water that we're having to drink, shower in. Uh, so, so what about this groundwater study? What about some real focus on our scarce water resources and what this uh, sort of sacrifice zone policy that we've seen in the tar sands now, it's suddenly coming south and it's like we're a sacrifice zone now. To hell with the water, to hell with the environment. This, you know, AER is going to give us our orders and then we go full blast. What about these studies, Greg? Thanks. Well, thanks. And yeah, I, I, I'm sorry that, uh, that I couldn't be at the university. I was out of the country. But, you know, uh, I'm one that doesn't particularly believe in politicizing issues either. I'm, I've been just trying to work at it, work hard in the, with, every, with the ministers, with the, with the government, with, the, with, the, with whoever we can to try to make sure that the information's on the table. And I'm not sure that, that uh, trying to make it political makes it any better or gets us any answers. So I've, I've really just tried to work away at the issue. Uh, and uh, I think probably the one thing that would have been consistent at the meeting at the university is we all agree we don't want fracking and drilling and leverage. I mean, that's pretty basic, pretty simple. Beyond that, uh, there's lots of points of view when you get outside of our community as to, as to how oil and drilling should go. I can tell you I talked to the minister a couple of weeks ago about the groundwater study because I, too, have had some concerns, and not just because of this particular issue, but other people that have come forward on, on some other areas across the south. Uh, and the groundwater's... Uh, testing and studying continues. We have some data and it continues. And what I've asked for is similar to the Athabasca information, can we get to where we can get real live information that's that's suitable for even for research use online somewhere so that we can log in and see it on a fairly, what are the latest water tests that have been done, where have they been done, what do they look like? Because testing's done every day. Every small water treatment plant, whether it's groundwater, surface water, uh, or irrigation water, has to do testing every day, water quality testing. So there's a, a wealth of data, and you're right. How can we get that data and look at it and see what impacts are, 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 are occurring out there? So I would support you in getting that data not only uh, taken but available for, for public viewing and then also for use by the research community uh, in future water research because down here really southern Alberta will only do as well as we have water it's it's the limiting factor you can talk oil and gas all you want it's water down here we all our crops our agriculture our communities everything depends on it so uh, I think we know that better than anyone so I support 100% the water down here. thank you
I'd like to thank Greg Wiedek for his time, and we'd like also to thank you for your attendance and participation. We encourage you to come out to further SACBIT events next week and beyond, and thank you.